It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. And now, this is the Neighborhood Podcast with New Age Insider's Chief of Staff, DC Matthews. Welcome to the Neighborhood Podcast. My name is DC Matthews, and I am the Chief of Staff of the New Age Insiders, the premier place for wrestling fans to connect, discuss, and to be heard. You can find me on Twitter, at DC Matthews NAI, along with my fellow New Age Insiders and hosts of the best darn wrestling podcast I've ever heard, NAI Pod. For those of you who have just gotten off the 315 train from Neptune, the hosts of NAI Pod are Jason Maltov, at New Age Insiders, Liam Stryker, at Liam NAI, and Bill Neville at Bill Neville, NAI. We have a website, NewAgeInsiders.com, where you can find the amazing interviews conducted with talents such as Donovan Dijak, Scott Hall, and Jimmy Corderas. You can also find information on NAI events, such as their upcoming appearance at New England Fan Fest 5, June 27th. You can get your NAI signature profile pictures and headers, the originators of this, by the way. And if you click Discuss, you can find articles written by the NAI team. Now, when I say NAI team, I'm talking to you out there in podcast land. NAI is the place to be heard, which means that you should, you know, be heard. And that means writing for the website. If you're an NAI Hall of Famer, you can write any day of the week. And I do seriously hope my fellow Hall of Fame neighbors start being more frequent contributors to our website. I want to give a special shout-out to my good friend Brandon McIntyre, at One Day Remains underscore, for being a talented member of the neighborhood. If you're not reading his Fantasy Booking Fridays, predictions, or any of his other great columns, you are missing out. This is Episode 2 of The Neighborhood. Well, technically Episode 3, because Episode 1 was done at the Newark Airport, so we trashed that one. We've learned a lot from the first one. I've learned how to talk into a microphone. That's good. I learned that I take a lot of pauses when I'm thinking of things. I also learned how to write a patter just like my hero, Jason Maltoff. What do you think, friends? I've learned how to edit in audacity. I've learned how to silence the audio. And I've learned how to sweat profusely because the ceiling fan's not turned on. I've learned that my wife is hilarious because apparently her comment about Lex Luger wearing a diaper was a big hit with you neighbors. I don't think she quite knew how to take that. I also know that I enjoy listening to myself talk because here we are. This is actually, if full disclosure here, friends, I'm recording this podcast on the same day I recorded the first neighborhood podcast, which I hope you've listened to. Obviously, I enjoy listening to myself talk. I think that's because I'm an only child. And since today is the day where I interview myself, you're going to notice that being an only child had a big influence in my personal narrative with professional wrestling. The Neighborhood Podcast is when I sit down with you, the neighborhood, and discuss your life with professional wrestling. This is still my little mad experiment. We're still ironing out the kinks and trying stuff out. I'm still not going to be interviewing you neighbors. So unfortunately for you, you're still going to just have to listen to me talk. I'm sorry. The Neighborhood Podcast is about life with professional wrestling, so it seems only fitting that today, for our first official Neighborhood Podcast, I'd start with my own personal narrative. Now, if you've been a fan of my work, either at New Age Insiders or even before then when I was writing for the number two contenders, if you're out there, Doc Manson, we miss you terribly, please come home. So if you've been a fan of my work... A lot of this is not going to be new information for you. I've talked about my own personal narrative with professional wrestling for quite some time. But I wanted to put it out there in an oral, that's A-U-R-A-L for those at home, an oral format because I think it's important and this is what the Neighborhood Podcast is going to be. I'm going to have a conversation. In this case, it's going to be a fairly one-sided conversation, but that's what's going to happen. I want to know about your life with professional wrestling, and so I'm going to share my life with professional wrestling. So my friends, neighbors, wrestling fans, sit back, relax, and let me tell you a story. The funny thing is, I don't remember 
who or how I got to become a professional wrestling fan. I don't remember. It was second grade or third grade. I know that much. It was around 1993. I was born in 1983. So for all of you teenagers listening, get off of my lawn. Hi, DJ. How you doing? Hope you're having a great day. I got into wrestling when I was about nine or ten years old. Again, I don't remember who was the first person that showed it to me. Maybe I just found it myself when I was flipping through the channels. But I discovered the WWF, as it was then called, kids, and I was immediately hooked. Now, my father, Papa Matthews, my mom would be, of course, Mama Matthews, Papa Matthews has had a theory on this for a very long time. Now, being somewhat of a nerd, as I am, and if you know me personally, you know that the somewhat was in air quotes, I've been a big comic book superhero fan my entire life. In fact, I just finished Netflix's Daredevil, which if you have not watched it, pause this podcast right now and go spend 13 hours losing yourself into the world of Hell's Kitchen. I'll wait. Wasn't it tremendous? It was so good. The Kingpin was amazing. Anyways, let's get back on track. So my dad, Papa Matthews, has long thought that Professional wrestling and the world of superheroes is not too different. Both wear costumes, both seemingly have superpowers of some kind, resilience, strength, all of that. And so he thinks that there was a natural progression between comic books, superheroes, and professional wrestling. I don't know if it was a progression necessarily, but I do think there is a correlation between those two. I would imagine that many of you in the neighborhood probably didn't need to pause my podcast to go watch Daredevil. I imagine you already did. And I'm sure many of you are also big comic book fans. And so you can understand the relationship that comic book have with professional wrestling. But again, I don't have a specific moment. Many of you might have. You remember sitting down with your grandfather, your uncle, a friend, a cousin, an actual neighbor, and they showed you pro wrestling for the first time and you were hooked. I don't have that moment. The first time I really remember professional wrestling was out on the playground with my friend Philip, who has moved away years and years ago. But my friend Philip and I loved pro wrestling. And our biggest fan, the first wrestler I remember being a huge fan of, not Hulk Hogan, not Macho Man Randy Savage, Tatanka, Native American superstar Tatanka. I think I was attracted to Tatanka because of the red mohawk. You know, his hair was brown on the sides, but it was dyed bright red in the middle to a fairly conservative kid growing up in a very small town in New England. That stood out to me. But I also think it had to do with his war dance. We did that war dance at recess all the time. I remember on the far side of the playground, there was this giant rock, and we would literally spend the entire recess doing the war dance around the rock. And looking back on it, I'm glad I didn't know any actual Native Americans, because I may have gotten my butt kicked. I don't know that you could do either, well, for one thing, that gimmick, or be able to show your pride like that now in today's society. But Tatanka was the first wrestler I remember watching. I was immediately drawn to the color, the larger-than-life characters, of which Tatanka would be one. I remember Made in the USA Lex Luger. This was around that time. And yes, Lex Luger is the wrestler Mrs. Matthews thought was wearing a diaper. I thought you'd like that one again. The Steiner brothers, Ludwig Borga, who was the first person, if memory serves, to defeat Tatanka. Tatanka was undefeated for quite some time, including he won, by countout, I believe, a match versus Shawn Michaels that was the beginning match, the opening match, the kickoff to WrestleMania 9, which, to my recollection, is the very first pay-per-view I ever watched. Now, generally, most people consider WrestleMania 9 from Caesars Palace in Las Vegas to be the worst WrestleMania of all time. But I can't be objective about this. I am so biased against WrestleMania 9, it isn't even funny. I've written about this many times. But that moment when Bobby the Brain Heenan came out riding on a camel 
backwards. That was it. I was a lifelong fan of professional wrestling because of that moment. I've always been a fan of comedy, stand-up comedy, improvisational comedy. I was in an improv group in college. That moment hooked me. When I saw Bobby Heenan riding the camel backwards, looking incredibly stunned and angry and trying to help himself, and then he falls off, and at one point his toga goes over his head, I was done. I watched that at my neighbor's house across the street, and again, I was a fairly overprotective child. I know Mama and Papa Matthews are probably going to listen to this podcast, so I'm not faulting you, Mummy and Daddy dear. I just, you've admitted it. I was a fairly overprotected child. I was an only child. And so I remember that day clearly for many reasons, one of which is I was allowed to cross the street and walk next door to the neighbor's house by myself. That never happened before. We lived on what you would consider to be the main road in the small town in New England that I grew up on. And so I wasn't allowed on that road by myself. So the fact that I was able to cross the street was a huge deal to me. And I remember laying on the floor in this living room with my friend and his two brothers, and we watched Shawn Michaels versus Tatanka. We watched, let's see if I can remember the whole thing from memory, the Steiner Brothers versus the Head Shrinkers, Mr. Perfect versus the narcissist Lex Luger. He wasn't made in the USA yet. The Undertaker versus Giant Gonzalez. Come on seven-foot guy wearing essentially a furry suit with muscles painted on? How's that not going to attract your interest as a comic book superhero fan? That looks like a villain pulled right off the pages of a Marvel comic right there. Steiners and Head Shrinkers. Oh, Bob Backlund and Razor Ramon. Hulk Hogan and Brutus the Barber Beefcake against Money, Inc., Ted DiBiase and Erwin Narshyster. The main event, Bret Hart and Yokozuna. You know this. I'm preaching to the choir here, but you understand the main event is Bret Hart versus Yokozuna for the world title. Yokozuna wins. Hulk Hogan comes out, and in 20 seconds, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, pins Yokozuna to win the title. Now, I'm a big Bret Hart fan. He's probably my favorite wrestler, and we'll get to that in a later segment. I was offended on a personal level when that happened. Now, I'm 9 or 10 years old. I'm 10. WrestleMania 9, I believe, was in 93. So I'm 10 years old, right about. And I'm offended. And this goes back to something that we've talked about before. I've mentioned it online, though I haven't written the column I said I would. I never was a big Hulk Hogan fan. I never was. And I think that was because, that was why. Here is my hero, the pink and black attack. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And he gets so obviously cheated in this situation and this older guy this older red and yellow guy who's bald and with a you know he had that eye injury and there was lots of speculation on what happened was it a jet ski accident did he get punched by somebody lots of speculation on what happened with his eye and this guy takes on this unbeatable monster and in less than a minute defeats him so i've never been a big hulk hogan fan I'm sorry to all of you out there. I know Jason Maltoff and Liam Stryker, they're big Hulk Hogan fans. If I could possibly do a Cartman impression, I'd be doing one right now. But I can't, so I won't. But I never liked Hulk Hogan. So that was the first pay-per-view that I saw, WrestleMania 9. And I was in from then on. I went to a couple of live events in New England when wrestling came to town. Uh, my parents, who are incredibly supportive people, overprotective maybe, but incredibly supportive, took me to these events, even though they had no interest in pro wrestling at all. My mom can remember certain things. Here's a fun little quick side story for you. My mom, Mama Matthews, whom I love dearly, she grew up also in a smaller, even smaller town than I did in New England. So there was pro wrestling on so that she remembers watching. I can't remember. I think my grandfather watched. So... I think he watched. So my mom now follows up because she supports everything I do. So she's been reading my columns, and she sent me a quick email telling me that I wrote a nice column about the death of Dusty Rhodes and that she even remembered him from her days watching wrestling. And that was not too long ago, Mom. You're still very young. Here's another fun story. And this is what I hope the Neighborhood Podcast will be, is I have a list of things I want to talk about, but I want this to be a conversation. So I'm willing to go off onto tangents and side streets, and we'll come back around to the main thread. But here's another quick fun story for you. My grandmother lived in Vermont, and 
when I was a teenager, one of the fun things that I could do was go spend three or four days with her in Vermont. And so we would meet halfway. My parents would drive us up to one point. My grandmother would come down and she would bring a friend with her. And her friend, who was probably at the time in her late 60s, maybe early 70s, she was a big wrestling fan. She thought Ric Flair was the bee's niece. And I, I think it was because, you know, he was still good looking at that at that time. He wasn't a wrinkled, drunken mess. Sorry, did I say that out loud? Oh, I'm sorry. But we bonded. This woman and I bonded over wrestling. And she would send me newspaper clippings or things like that. She would send me notes a couple of times a year, birthday cards. And she would mention that she watched this or Ric Flair won the title. Isn't that great? So just a fun story. Bonding with people over professional wrestling as a proud member of the neighborhood. That's why I watch. I wouldn't watch if it weren't for you people who listen and interact with me on Twitter, my friends in the neighborhood. And even 20 years ago, wrestling brings us all together of all ages. Here I am sitting with someone 40, 50 years older than me, bonding over Ric Flair and pro wrestling. See, now I'll bring us back. I went to some live events. That's what I was talking about. My parents brought us to some live events. They brought me to a live event. And I remember this one because I almost died. Now, I'm a little kid. I'm probably not much older than I was when WrestleMania 9 hit. I could probably figure it out when I was watching. This may have even been, oh, wow, was this even before? The timeline's fuzzy. I remember going to an event. Bret Hart was there. He was the main event attraction. I know Papa Shango was there. And I also know that the Ultimate Warrior was there, and he was wearing a full singlet. It wasn't the tights and the tassels. He was wearing the full singlet that was airbrushed. And now that I'm thinking about it, that had to be before WrestleMania 9. Warrior had come and gone by then. That was WrestleMania 8 when Warrior fought Savage. And I think that was when and when Warrior was fighting with Papa Shango. So I might have even been a fan before WrestleMania 9. I don't know that I saw any other pay-per-views before that. But... Now that I'm thinking about it, I must have been a fan of wrestling before 1993 because I saw The Ultimate Warrior live. Virgil was there. I think I have a picture of him somewhere. And I bring this up because now I'm a little kid, obviously, and now I'm probably nine years old, and I couldn't see. And so I decided to kneel or even stand up on the chairs to get a good view. And the chair, I think I like leaned back and the chair tipped up and I fell down and... If you're familiar with stunning Steve Austin, not Stone Cold Steve Austin, finisher of the stun gun, which was, I believe, he would lift you up over his head and he would drop you throat first on the rope. If you're not familiar with it, think of any match where a wrestler did that, lifted the guy in the air and dropped him throat first over the top rope. I did that with the back of a steel chair. And I hadn't learned how to take a bump. So I, as my mom said probably came close to crushing my larynx, which I might not have died, but it probably wouldn't have been good for me. But I was a trooper. I'm, my parents tell the story. I was crying, but I wanted to stay. They wanted to take me to the doctor, but I wanted to stay and see the wrestlers because I hadn't seen Bret Hart yet. And I recovered enough. So when that electric guitar sound hit, I won't do it now to save your precious ears. But when that guitar hit, I sprinted to the, um, what's the word? The railing. Yeah the railing, the guardrail. I sprinted to the edge so I could slap five with him. And I did. He didn't give me the sunglasses though. And I was bitter about that. So my parents bought me a very cheap pair of the pink mirrored sunglasses. It had a rubber thing that went around the back of the head and, you know, it dug into your face, but I wore them and I, I wear eyeglasses. So I wore them over my eyeglasses. Like I said, I'm a nerd, but I went to a couple of events. I went to WrestleMania 11 which was in Hartford, Connecticut, had a fan fest. And I didn't go to the pay-per-view itself because that was too much money, but my dad drove a cousin and a friend of mine all the way to Hartford from where we lived. And we got to do fan fest. I got to climb into the ring. I got to, you know, they had a thing. I think The Undertaker, no, it was Diesel. Diesel had Razor Ramon in a sleeper hold and they had a cardboard cut out of that and they cut out Razor's face. And so I got to stick my face in there and pretend like I had fallen asleep. And I got to meet some of the wrestlers. Now, my cousin, not the one who attended, but a different one, gives me grief 
every time I see him because I never saved anything as a kid. I had comic books. I never saved them. I had Legos. I never saved them. I had baseball cards. I never saved them. I also had an autograph book from WrestleMania 11, and that's the thing I wish I kept. Not because I got Henry Godwin's autograph, which I did. Not because I got, oh, I can't even remember. I got three or four autographs, but I met Owen Hart. And I'm going to tell you this later when we get to a section that I'm going to call the 10 count. I loved Owen Hart. Owen Hart and Bret Hart is, to me, the best feud that there's ever been. And I met Owen Hart. My cousin, named Rob, my friend, conveniently also named Rob, and I are in line to meet him. And so he meets my cousin first, shakes his hand, signs a thing, chats with him for a second. Moves on to my friend Rob, signs a thing, chats with him for a second. So then he comes up to me. And he asks me my name, and I tell it to him. And he says, well, I'm going to have to call you Rob. And for a second, I didn't get it, and I guess I looked crestfallen because then he laughed and kind of patted me on the shoulder and you know, had a conversation with me. But I had, for 15, 20 seconds, the chance to talk to Owen Hart, who was a heel for the majority of his really famous time in wrestling. He was a heel, and he was just the sweetest guy that you could ask for. And so there, I think there's a picture. I should look at home and maybe try to post some of these things on our website, newageinsiders.com. But I met Owen Hart, and he was a delight. And I really regret not keeping that, specifically just for the Owen memory. I went to a couple of events. I'm not a big live event person, I have to tell you that. I prefer to be home and watching on my television. I've gone to some things. I went to some things in college and, you know, annoyed everyone I sat next to by standing up and cheering for JBL when he came out with the stock market bell and the limo I was celebrating. But I'm not a big live event guy. I actually prefer to stay home and watch it. I know many of you are saving and scrimping for your WrestleMania trip. I'd love to go. I don't know that I would go to the actual show. I think I'd want to go to all the events, spend time with you, the neighbors, and then sit in my hotel room and watch. I don't know that I have agoraphobia necessarily, but I, I'm not a big crowd fan, and I'm not a big event fan. I, I don't know why I decided to share that with you, but I did, so take that. I was, as a kid, a huge collector of things. I had wrestling action figures from here to the moon. I had Ricky the Dragon Steamboat with the dragon headdress thing. I had Typhoon. I had Earthquake. I used to do 60-minute Iron Man matches, or at least I said they were 60-minute, between my Bret Hart action figure and an action figure of Tom Zank. Now, I knew who Tom Zank was. I apologize. I keep hitting the stand that the microphone is on. So if you hear, if it sounds like I'm having an earthquake, it's just me bumping into things. I had a Tom Zank figure and I read magazines. I'll talk more about Pro Wrestling Illustrated in just a minute. So I knew who Tom Zank was, but I had never seen him in the ring. I didn't know if he was any good, but he was the only non-WWF action figure I had. And he looked like he was in good shape. So he and Bret Hart used to have matches, which made it interesting because the WWF action figures in the early to mid 90s could move. You could move their arms a little bit and you would like lift their arms up and it would smash it down. This Tom Zank action figure didn't move at all. He had one arm kind of flexed like he was showing off his bicep. He had another arm kind of out to the to the side. It was almost like he was doing a leaning version of I'm a, no, it wasn't I'm a little teapot, but he was posed oddly. And he was stationary. He didn't move. But I still managed to have in my head these great Iron Man matches with lots of submission holds and things. I was a big magazine guy. I did have a subscription to Pro Wrestling Illustrated, um, either in some columns or in some podcasts. I'm going to go through some of them. My parents saved some of these magazines for me. So I have a stack. I'm looking at them right now on the other side of the Newark Studios or the Neptune Studios. I want to come up with a good name for the the place where... I'm podcasting. So if you have ideas of what I should call it, neighborhood studios, perhaps send it to me at DC Matthews and AI. Is anyone still listening? So I had pro wrestling illustrated magazines and the one thing that I had, and this was as a younger kid, I, I hit gold. As I said, my grandmother lived in Vermont, small town. And so when I would go visit, we would go to the video store because this was before the internet kids. 
no texting, no Angry Birds. I had a Game Boy that was in the color green. Not not the Game Boy itself was green, but they didn't have color games. My parents wouldn't buy me a Game Gear because I had a Game Boy, and why would you need two video game systems? You can only play one at a time. So I had the Game Boy, which was, it didn't have color. So it was greens and grays. So there wasn't a lot to do, and so we would go to the local video store where we could rent VHS tapes. For you kids out there, VHS tape is what was before DVDs. Get off my lawn. And so we would go there, and we would look around for stuff, and we happened in the back of this store. I struck gold. I found, I'm guessing, the complete WWF Coliseum Home Video wrestling library. So I was able to watch all of the WrestleManias I missed. Survivor Series, which is one of my favorites. I'm really sad that they don't do the Survivor Series justice anymore. SummerSlam, I remember the one with Zeus, Hulk Hogan and Zeus from the... I'm not going to remember the name of the movie, but you're screaming it at the screen right now, or however you're choosing to listen to this. From that movie, Last Man Standing? No, I don't think that's right. So that, I remember the marriage between Randy Savage and Elizabeth, and then there was the other match, which was Hulk Hogan and the Warrior versus Slaughter, General Adnan, and Colonel Mustafa. It's amazing how these things just pop back into your head. So I sat on the floor in my grandmother's trailer, and I sat on the floor, and I'm watching these matches, and I am treating the pillows around me like they are my opponents. So they got suplexed, they got put in sleeper holds, they got gorilla press slammed all over the room. My parents must have thought I was insane, but I was being quiet and not bothering anybody, so they let me do it. But as I can't believe that they would have this so close, because it was a five-minute drive to get to the video store, and I'm pretty sure there were times where we would go multiple times a day, because I had finished one pay-per-view and wanted to watch another one. I read magazines, I watched the videos, and I played games. Now, I'm an only child. No brothers, no sisters, and only children are very unique individuals. We can make a game out of anything. I can take any board game and figure out how to play it by myself. Monopoly, I can do it. Trivial Pursuit, I can do it. So I came up with all of these games because I didn't have a Game Gear. I had a Game Boy, which had like one wrestling video game. I know the Mountie was in it. I think the Big Boss Man was in it. I couldn't figure out how to grapple. I could only do the strikes. I couldn't figure out how to grab onto somebody. So I didn't do well with that game. Side note. My aunt had the original Nintendo. Does anyone remember the original Nintendo that's listening to this? And she had the original WrestleMania video game, which I would play when I would go visit, and I was always Bam Bam Bigelow, because he could do a cartwheel. Bull Dempsey, this is what you need to do. I'm not going to talk about your gimmick right now, because I'm in a good mood and it will just make me cry. But Bull Dempsey, learn how to do a cartwheel. So I would come up with all of these crazy games. I love to make lists... That's why I do kind of statistics with wrestling on the side a little bit. I love to make lists, so I would make lists of every wrestler I could think of, and I would do it with as many different iterations as I could. So you would have Cactus Jack, Mick Foley, Dude Love, Mankind, and every one of them. So I would come up with a list of sometimes, you know, 600-ish people, and I would want it to be even so that I could do a tournament. You've seen eight men tournaments. You've seen 16. If you follow college basketball, you've seen the 64. If you keep doubling that number, it'll still work out even. So 128, 256, 512, 1,024. So I would try to come up with those numbers if I could and do giant tournaments where I would just roll dice to see who would win. Can I sound any more like a nerd? I'm asking you, neighbors. I'm not embarrassed to share this with you because I know somewhere out there, one of you understands what I'm saying. Finally, in high school, my parents bought me a PlayStation. Now, they had told me, shows you what kind of a kid I was, they had told me that we couldn't have a video game system like a Nintendo or a Sega because we didn't have enough electrical outlets in the house. Think about that for a minute. And I believed them. Now, I grew up in a house that was built in the 1700s, and I believed them. I said, oh, okay, well, we don't have enough electrical outlets. So when the PlayStation arrived, probably at some Christmas, 
I lost my mind because with it was, to this day, one of my favorite video games in the entire world. Now, this is the original PlayStation, I believe, WCW versus The World. Some of you right now just got struck with nostalgia. You might be crying. It's okay. I loved it, too. WCW versus The World. Graphics, nothing to write home about, but they had... I don't remember what they called it, but it was essentially a round-robin tournament where you could pick eight guys, and they would all wrestle each other, and it gave you the bracket for it. And being that kind of list nerd that I was, my head exploded with that. I also liked it because it had a lot of Japanese wrestlers, although you couldn't use their names. So there was Habanero, which was Japanese wrestler Hayabusa. He was the guy with the mask that used to do a lot of the flips and stuff. He was in the game. Mitsuharu Masawa was in the game, though I can't remember what his name was. Uh, I think Shinya Hashimoto was in the game. I love that game. Still, if I have to pick a list of my top video games that are wrestling-related, WCW vs. The World's on that list. I also, being someone who grew up as the internet was becoming this major force, I became involved in something called EFEDs. Electronic Federations. Now, if you've never heard of an EFED before, oh, hold on to your hats. Things are about to get weird. An EFED was a website run by whomever created the website, and it was a wrestling promotion. Now, I'm using air quotes again. You're going to have to assume I'm using air quotes for a good number of the things I'm about to say when it comes to the EFEDs. So it was a wrestling promotion. And you could apply to be a wrestler. Now, you could base your wrestler off of... They had some EFEDs that were... You picked an existing wrestler, and you essentially role-played as that person. We're kind of talking Dungeons & Dragons for wrestling nerds. Or you could create your own wrestler. And so I did. I created a wrestler, and I thought this was the most creative name ever. I created a wrestler called Christian Hardcore. Take a minute. Christian Hardcore kind of looked like if you took Vinny Vegas or early Diesel, tall, slicked black hair, goatee, like Diesel, and he was a power-based wrestler, he was my guy. And I created some other ones, too. None of them as important as Christian Hardcore. So Christian Hardcore was my first created EFED wrestler. And you would write promos. They essentially had a forum kind of like what the New Age Insiders have, though certainly not as this is again, now we're talking the mid to late 90s. You would create a promo. So Christian Hardcore would cut his promos from the roof of the arena. So I'm thinking now it's kind of like take Kevin Nash's Diesel, early Diesel, but then make him act like Raven, essentially. So he would be sitting on, what did I always used to say? Christian Hardcore is sitting on the roof of the arena watching the people live below. Yeah, wasn't as good of a writer as I am now back then. But you would create a promo, you would send a couple of things, and these the people who owned the promotion, whoever these guys were, would create the matches and they would be the booker, so they would decide how the matches end. Again, I'm about to open up to you and share my vulnerable nerd heart. I won a title. Probably was a hardcore title. I don't think it was the world title, but I remember winning an EFED title, and I ran. I did not walk. I ran into my parents' bedroom to share the news, and I will never forget the look of confused nervousness on their faces. They said they were proud of me, because of course they were, but they probably wondered whether or not I was getting enough vitamin D from the sun sitting inside writing wrestling promos all day. But as I've said, my parents were incredibly supportive. We had pay-per-views at our house all the time. This is when pay-per-views cost 20 to 30 bucks. This is uh, Survivor Series was a big hit with us because this was when Survivor Series was actually on Thanksgiving. So you had the night off afterwards. So my parents didn't mind letting me stay up late. Now, my house was Grand Central Station all through my life. My parents believed, and I really appreciate this logic here. If our son is at our house, he is safe. Therefore, he can be home anytime he wants, and if he wants to invite people over, that's fine, because at home, he is safe. So my house was Grand Central Station. People were at my house all the time. And so we had pay-per-views at my house all the time. And we would have snacks, and life would be good, and then we would drag the mattresses down the stairs. 
we would drag my mattress and the spare mattress down the stairs, and we would set up our own wrestling mat and have multi-man, some, it was like Survivor Series matches, because some nights there were six, eight people there, multi-man tag matches where we would do all sorts of moves. It should come as no surprise that I was the submission expert. I was pretty good at the Fujiwara armbar, and my favorite was the Texas Cloverleaf. Did I want to be a professional wrestler? I suppose I did. I certainly treated my pillows like rag dolls enough so that I thought I would. But when I got to high school, I decided to join the wrestling team. I believe it was Papa Matthews who thought that would be a good idea. And it became very clear to me as a freshman wrestler that, just like Danny Glover says in Angels in the Outfield, there's a thing called talent, and I don't have it. I got through four years of amateur wrestling in high school by showing some semblance of leadership and just continuing to show up. I was not a very good amateur wrestler. Um, I don't come from a family of huge athletes. I don't profess to be particularly athletic. I have incredibly poor proprioception. For those playing along at home, proprioception is the ability to recognize where your body is in space. I stink at it. That's why I've bumped into my mic stand three or four times already. And I don't have very good balance. So you add all those things together, and it's no surprise that I won two matches my entire freshman year, while being pretty much on varsity the whole time. I then won two matches my sophomore year. And by junior year, thankfully, I was able to pick on enough of the underclassmen so that I won a couple of matches. And by senior year, while I was a captain, I did well enough. But I knew very early on that a future as a professional wrestler was probably not going to happen for me. But it was around that moment that I discovered the idea of broadcast journalism. Bobby Heenan, who you will hear me talk about later on when we get to the 10 count, Bobby Heenan professed to be a broadcast journalist. And I began to look for colleges as high school rolled around, which had broadcast journalism. Syracuse University was one that I looked at until my dad showed me, here's the amount of money that we're going to give you for college. Here's what it'll buy you at Syracuse, which was maybe a year. And here's what it would buy you if you went to a different school, like a state school, which would be close to four years. So that kind of made that decision for me. Though I do sometimes wonder what would have happened had I gone actually into broadcast journalism. But I decided to become a teacher, and I'm quite happy to be a teacher. And I hope that I have been your teacher at some point during our time together, whether it be through my writing or these podcasts. My wrestling interest continued through high school. That was when the SmackDown video games became popular. I had some friends that we bonded over those video games. Our favorite one was SmackDown Shut Your Mouth, I believe, whichever the one that Brock Lesnar did the commercial for. You think that you can handle Brock Lesnar? I don't think so. And you always knew that he had said, they had edited it out. He was saying, you think you can handle Brock Lesnar? Flip card. I don't think so. Isn't that a great Brock Lesnar impression? So we loved those games. We would come up with huge matches. We created our own wrestlers. Christian Hardcore made a resurgence in those video games. I'll have you know. And I don't want to get too much into this because this part of my wrestling life is more talked about. I've written about it many times. I stopped watching in college. The entire WCW invasion and the ruthless aggression era, that's when I fell away. I got to college. I started being interested in other things. And so I stopped watching. And it wasn't until WWE Network came around that I jumped back in. And I'm so glad that I did because I get to be part of this wonderful world with you, the neighbors. I have a couple of friends who watch. I've mentioned Doc Manson, who is one of my best friends. We were roommates in college for far longer than I think either of us expected. If I ever have him on the podcast, we'll have to tell that story. 
And I have a couple of other friends who watch now and then, and we'll chat about it whenever we get together. But I, you know, I don't share a lot. My I've said before, my wife, Mrs. Matthews, not a fan. Supportive, loves that I'm doing this, not a fan. Again, I can't tell you how important the neighborhood is to me, because without you, I wouldn't be watching. Not to the extent that I am now. So that's my life with professional wrestling. And that's what I'm going to be talking to all of you about. Hopefully I get to interview every single person who's listening to this podcast at some point in time. And again, if you want to be on the Neighborhood Podcast at DC Matthews NAI, I've already got some people lined up. Jason Maltov, Liam Stryker, they want to be part of it. We're going to have a chit-chat at some point. The next segment of the show, and I realize I've been talking for about 40 minutes now. The next segment of the show, uh, I'm not sure about the name yet. I thought about calling it The Shoot, but that seems almost cliche. I thought about calling it The DC Dish, but that seems just kind of dumb. So I'm open to thoughts. But what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about wrestling today. And I want your opinions on it, and I'm going to give you my opinions on it. Not that I'm shy about sharing my opinions, ever. What wrestling do I watch today? I watch WWE, NXT, I've now watched Ring of Honor. I talked about that on my last podcast. And I watch Lucha Underground. I don't watch Japan. And maybe in six months I'll be talking about Japan in the same way that I talk about Ring of Honor right now. But right now I don't watch Japan. There's, there is only so much time that I am able to dedicate to this. And as I said in a column that I wrote, when you become a creator, when you start creating things, it's hard to transition back into being a spectator. It's entirely possible that at some point during Money in the Bank tonight, because I'm recording this the night of Money in the Bank, I'll walk away from the pay-per-view because I'll want to do some more podcasting. That's kind of how I, you know, why sit and watch when you can create something. So I have to balance. I have to balance being a writer and now being a podcaster because I've gotten one or two positive pieces of feedback. So that's all I needed to keep going. I don't know that my I can handle Japan right now. And if you think I should, please let me know. I'm debating the summer benefit of being a teacher. I've got about a week until I get the summer off, in so many words. You know, summer's off is a different kind of thing, but I get a couple of weeks off. I'm debating whether or not I should go for that full Ring of Honor membership and try catching up. I've still got my quest to watch all the NWA and WCW pay-per-views. When that's done, I want to watch all the ECW pay-per-views. When that's done, I want to watch all of the WWE pay-per-views that I missed during my lost years. So I've got a laundry list of wrestling-related things I want to do, and it's going to be hard to add anything new into that. I do love the WWE Network, though. I'm probably one of the, I'm not one of the few people. A lot of you are watching these pay-per-views, but I'm trying to be really chronologically accurate and scientific with it. I wish, I wish, 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 wish that they would put just everything up. At least all of the Nitros, all of the Monday Night Raws. I don't know what they're waiting for. Maybe they don't have enough people. I'm sure all of us would happily work for WWE if it meant we could watch these things. I'm hoping they add all of these things. Eventually, I do think they should consider, and I've mentioned this before, a premium membership for $20 a month or $25 a month or even $30 a month. You get everything that they have taped. If you want to watch WCW Saturday night, you can. If you want to watch Livewire or Sunday Night Heat or WCW Worldwide, you can. I think that would be a great thing, and I think a lot of people would pay for it. Maybe not as many as they would like, but it would certainly be a way to get some more revenue. And if they decided to make it ad-free, you'd have people who'd pay that money for it just to not have to watch those silly commercials. I listen to NAI Pod, of course, and that's really the only wrestling podcast that I listen to these days. I did because I have the summer's upcoming, and I'm going to try this summer to exercise as often as I podcast or write or watch that gets me out of the house and working out a little bit. So I did download some wrestler podcasts. Thank you to everyone. And there were a great number of you who suggested or reminded me that Taz was interviewing Bull Dempsey 
I do want to take a look at that. I also am beginning to think from the sounds of how that podcast went that that podcast relates to the gimmick he has now. I'm not going to rage about it, but I do think maybe somebody listened to his podcast and said, hey, this Bull Dempsey is kind of funny and has a sense of humor. Let's give him a gimmick that shows that. And if in five or six years, Bull Dempsey's in the WWE and he's been the Intercontinental Champion just one time, I'll be grateful for this gimmick that I detest right now. So I have some Jericho podcasts. I have a couple Taz podcasts. I I have a hard time with wrestling podcasts. It's hard to detect authenticity. I know Stone Cold's authentic. That's true. But I have a problem with it. I'm not going to start a feud with Jim Ross right now, mainly because I know Jim Ross ain't listening. But Jim Ross, my opinion of Jim Ross has dwindled since I started listening to his podcast. And that's the reason I stopped was he began to sound like a bitter old man. And I don't want to remember Jim Ross as a bitter old man. Jericho's the same thing. He's now seems very much like a corporate guy, and I don't want to think of him as a corporate guy. So I hesitate before listening to wrestling podcasts, though I'll listen to some of them and maybe even I'll podcast about the podcasts. What a meta concept that would be. I don't collect a lot of merchandise. I was flipping through an old PWI magazine, which I do have, and I saw all of these title belts for sale. I've never owned a wrestling title belt in my entire life. In fact, with the exception of the magazines, which I didn't purchase, and my New Age Insiders t-shirt, if you don't have one, pick it up. The only wrestling memorabilia that I have, besides books and magazines, is a framed picture that I'm looking at right now. I can't see the whole thing because it's in the back of my closet, covered with some stuff. But I got this from my friends when I graduated from college. They got me an autographed Bret Hart picture. He's putting someone in the sharpshooter. If I went and looked closer, I could probably figure out who it is. It might actually be Isaac Yankum. That would be Kane, for those of you who are not as familiar with your 90s wrestling. But I don't hang it up, obviously. It's in the back of my closet. Maybe when I move to a place with a bigger man cave or office, I'll hang it up. But I'm not into collecting it. I'm not into collecting things. I do, however, have a lot of wrestling books, and I'm going to write or podcast about them. I just finished. I have my fingers on it right now because it's on my desk. I just finished Chris Jericho's book, Undisputed, How to Become the World Champion in 1,372 Easy Steps. I have a series of other books that I'm going to start going through. I think us neighbors should start an NAI book club, perhaps, and start talking about these books. My recommendation is the same recommendation I always give. If you have not read Walking a Golden Mile, the William Regal book, you need to pick it up. It's phenomenal. Right now, the best part of wrestling for me is you. And I don't mean to keep pumping your tires or tooting your horns, so to speak, but that's my favorite part of wrestling. I watch wrestling because I can comment on it and I can interact with you, the neighborhood. That's why I watch. So my favorite part of wrestling is that. If I had to pick something besides you, it's the nostalgia. I love going back through these pay-per-views, even the ones I haven't seen, and remembering these things. I'm in 1993 with my WCW pay-per-views, and on WWE Network, when you look at the Clash of the Champions for November of 93, I haven't watched it yet, it's coming up, you can see the glittery Stormtrooper helmet, which can only mean one thing, Shockmaster. I can't tell you how excited I am to be able to watch that. That's 22 years ago, and I'm as excited for that. I'm more excited to watch that than I am to watch Money in the Bank in two hours. So I'm a big nostalgia fan. Probably one of the reasons you're listening to this podcast right now. The biggest problem with wrestling right now is the oversaturation. It's on too much And I'm not just talking about the bi-weekly pay-per-views. If that's the way they want to go, fine. You've got three hours for Raw, two hours for SmackDown, and I know many of you don't watch SmackDown and don't think there's any point, but it's there. Plus the pay-per-views. There's just too much. You get oversaturated with these talents. We've seen the big show for too long. We've seen Dolph Ziggler, in many cases, for too long. We're going to come very soon 
to a point where we've seen Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns for too long. So if I could change one thing about professional wrestling, I would make an off-season. Maybe not an off-season like in other sports. Maybe you don't end at WrestleMania and there's no new wrestling until August. Maybe I wouldn't do that. But I would give wrestlers regular intervals of time off. It's good for their bodies. It's good for their minds and their souls and their families. And it's good for the fans. Because if you took any talent, if Rusev disappears for two months to actually heal his injury, if you got rid of Rusev and he came back in October, people would be excited to see him because he's been gone. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Daniel Bryan, if he ever does come back, is going to get a huge reaction because we haven't seen him in a while. So I would be giving these wrestlers time off every single year at different intervals, of course, when it fits in the stories, to heal and to just be away from the camera. I could be talked into giving NXT a little bit more to do, and I, now I'm getting into changing two things. I'd like to change NXT around as well, but I, I said I wanted to change one thing, and so that's what I picked the time off. But you could also bring up these NXT guys. Right now, there's not a spot for Tyler Breeze on the main roster. There's too many other guys. But if Dolph Ziggler took four or five months off, there's now a spot for a guy like Tyler Breeze. And then Dolph Ziggler can come back and be irritated that Tyler Breeze is in his spot. Hey, Tyler, you're now the show-off. That's my job. Now you've got a feud based on that. So I think it would actually help the storytelling as well to let these guys take a break. All right, folks, we're almost done. I've been talking for about an hour. If you're still listening, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for your patience, your understanding, and hopefully your enthusiasm. The last part of the Neighborhood Podcast each week is the 10 count. This is not necessarily rapid fire because I hope it leads to discussions, but these are 10 things. They're all favorites, and it's going to be kind of rapid fire here. So, my favorite wrestler, as I've mentioned multiple times, Bret the Hitman Hart, though I reserve the right to say William Regal as I continue watching these WCW pay-per-views. I haven't seen him yet. He hasn't shown up yet, but he's going to, and he's going to be there for years. And right now, William Regal's in my top three or five. If I start seeing more of him, he might kick Bret Hart out of my top all-time spot. My favorite tag team, I'm going to pick an unusual choice. Well, not unusual, but most people I'm going to guess are going to say the Road Warriors or the New Age Outlaws. My favorite tag team is the world's greatest tag team, Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas. I'm a sucker for a guy with amateur wrestling experience. I'm a sucker for two guys with amateur wrestling experience who were with Kurt Angle at one point. I think that's great. I loved that tag team, and I'm sad they didn't get as big of a run as they probably should have because they were tremendous. My favorite stable of all time is the Four Horsemen. They were the originators as far as I'm concerned. They had so many different iterations. I don't know that I could pick my favorite one, though the one with Chris Benoit, he who shall not be named, and Dean Malenko probably makes my list. But the horsemen were tremendous. That was what a stable should be. It wasn't too big. The NWO got way too big. It was just four guys, sometimes five guys, usually with a common purpose. They were great. My favorite talker, this could be a manager, announcer, wrestling personality, come on, Bobby Heenan is the man. I love Paul Heyman, but Bobby Heenan is the man when it comes to talking. He was an amazing announcer. He was a phenomenal manager. He was just a great personality. Bobby Heenan's the best. Favorite theme music. This is a tough one. I had to think about this one for a minute. Right now, and I might change my answer at some point, right now I'm going with Kurt Angle. That was in the era when they just started coming up with the sounds that really immediately identified a wrestler. And that was just perfect. It worked when he was a face. It worked when he was a heel. It worked even better when he was a heel. I love that music. And I apologize if my singing right now is making your eardrums bleed. My favorite move. This one gave me agita thinking about. And I wrote the 10 count. So imagine that. I had to pick two. I had to cheat. I'm sorry, and I'll give you the right to cheat when it's your time for the 10 count. 
My favorite move in terms of an offensive move is the dragon suplex, which we don't see anymore probably because it could kill people. Although now that I'm thinking about it, I'm calling an audible. I'm changing my answer. A dragon suplex is you put a guy in a full Nelson and then you do a German suplex. I'm changing my answer right now to the Tiger Driver, the double underhook powerbomb, specifically the Tiger Driver 91, which is another move you'll never see because it could possibly kill you. If you're not familiar with the Tiger Driver 91, double underhook, like you're going for a pedigree. You lift the guy up almost for a powerbomb, but instead of dropping them on their back, you drop them on the base of their spine, kind of folding them up like an accordion and it's in a perfect pinning position. I love that move. You'll never, ever see it again. My favorite submission move is the Texas Cloverleaf. Again, I'm debating my answers right now as I'm saying it, but I'm going to go with the Texas Cloverleaf. I like the Haas of Pain. Going back to Charlie Haas, I thought it was great that the Big Show was doing it, but the Texas Cloverleaf is great. A lot of people can do it. It's easy to apply. I could put it on you right now if you were here. I know how to do it. Maybe not safely, but it's just it's something that anyone can do. And it just looked painful. I love that move. My favorite match. Another one I had to think about for an awfully long time, and I'm going with an unorthodox answer, mainly because it's just an unorthodox answer. My favorite match comes at WrestleMania 12. And you're going to say right now, oh, of course, he's a Bret Hart fan. It's the Iron Man match. Close. I love that match. My favorite match is the Hollywood Backlot Brawl, which one could argue isn't a match at all. Here's why I like it. You've got Roddy Piper, who's captivating, and you have Goldust at the peak of his Goldustness. When Goldust is inducted into the Hall of Fame, and he will be, we're going to look back on how controversial he was back in 1996. That kind of character, the transgender kind of character, was unheard of in 1996. You had effeminate characters, but he wasn't necessarily effeminate. He was just kind of out there. He liked to psychologically mess with you. And so that match starts in the Hollywood backlot. They do all sorts of creative things. You have the O.J. Simpson-esque car chase, which is funny. And then it ends in the arena. Goldust gets disrobed, which was awkward, even as a 12-year-old. But I just loved that match. That match captured my attention. That match was something that you watched again and again. Not the best match, not the most scientific match. I'm sure all of you are going to smack me upside the head and say you could have any Kurt Angle-Chris Benoit match in the world. I'm going to say right now, the Hollywood Backlot Brawl is my favorite match. And if tomorrow I change my mind, I'm entitled. My favorite feud, as I mentioned before, Bret Hart versus Owen Hart. Brother versus brother. As an only child, I don't understand how that works. Maybe that's why it's interesting to me. But it was the first feud that I can remember that was insanely personal. You had, let's see if I can go through, you had their Survivor Series where Owen Hart was the only member of the Hart family eliminated. I believe that was the Hart family versus Jerry Lawler and his three knights. Owen Hart's the only one eliminated. He's upset about that. That leads to Brett and Owen becoming a team and challenging the Quebecers at the Royal Rumble in 94, and Owen turns on Brett at that match. So then, Brett's refusing to fight his brother. He won't do it. And it leads up to WrestleMania 10, Brett versus Owen. Another fantastic match on my list of best of all time. Owen beats Brett, which nobody saw coming. But then Brett wins the title at the end of WrestleMania 10, so now Owen's even more jealous. That leads to their steel cage match at SummerSlam. Remember, this is back before wrestling pay-per-views happened all the time, so you could actually build for months. I missed Owen Hart winning the King of the Ring in there. I think he won the King of the Ring in 94. Yeah, he did, because Mabel won it in 95 and Austin won it in 96. These are the things that stick in my mind. This is why I didn't get into the good schools, because I remember this stuff. So they have their cage match at SummerSlam. Then it kind of goes away for a bit. And then you have the submission match. Bret Hart versus Bob Backlund at Survivor Series 94. And Owen Hart comes out, and you think the feud is over. He's trying to save Bret. And he's convincing, and he brings Stu and Helen Hart. I almost said Martha Hart, but that was wrong. He brings Stu and Helen Hart to the ring, and he's pleading with them to throw in the towel, to throw in the towel, to throw in the towel. And then 
Helen Hart does. And in that instant, Owen Hart changes completely back into his heel persona and celebrates the fact that he just cost his brother the title. The fact that I can give you, piece by piece, almost every part of that feud is why it's the best feud of all time. My favorite moment, single moment. Again, I have lots. Steve Austin fighting Booker T in the grocery store. Hilarious. A bunch of us just talked about that last week. I'm going to pick the moment when Vince McMahon appeared on WCW Nitro because my head exploded. And that was, I was older at that point. I wasn't a kid. I was old enough to understand a little bit of what was happening and still my head exploded. What was Vince doing on Nitro? That's not his show. And then Shane shows up and winds up apparently buying it. That was crazy. That's my favorite moment of all time because that changed everything. Final one. Favorite current talent. Another tough question. I'm going to say Bray Wyatt. Love the personality. Love the in-ring work. He is just brutal. The uranagi, the flying cross-body block, the elbow smash. Just grievously underused. That's an entirely different podcast, I suppose. But right now, if I had to pick my favorite current talent, I'm going with Bray Wyatt. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been about an hour. And now, hopefully you know... Just about everything I can tell you. I already am thinking of things that I left out. But you know right now my DC Matthews personal narrative with professional wrestling. You know about my history of it. You know how I feel about it today. And you just got a list of some of my favorite things. That's what the Neighborhood Podcast is all about. That's what I want to do for you. I want to share you with the world. And I hope you'll let me. My name is DC Matthews. I'm the chief of staff of the New Age Insiders. You can find us online, newageinsiders.com. You can find me on Twitter, at DC Matthews NAI. I will see you around the neighborhood. Please.